the door of the ark stood open for 120 years. The sign out front said, all are welcome. Come inside and be saved. And no one came. Old Testament and New, the invitation goes out widely and generally, but most people find the door too narrow. Most people find the warnings too unlikely. And most people continue on about their business and they miss the opportunity to be saved. Jesus said that it would be this way at the end. He said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 37 to 39. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As we talked about in the last episode, there's a sense in which this story in the Old Testament is pulling double duty. It's telling us something about what happened way back in the days of Noah, but it's also telling a bigger story about the salvation that God is bringing about through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It's a true story in a couple of very important ways. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you to Genesis chapter 7. We'll begin reading today at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This is a very sober verse. For 120 years, Noah has been preaching a message of repentance. He's been saying that God is going to judge human sin. God is not going to be patient with us forever. God has made a way for us to escape this coming judgment. But you have to humble yourself, admit your need, come through the door, and be saved. And apparently, no one has been listening. And this introduces us to one of the heavy themes in the Bible. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's a hard truth. But it's all over the Bible and we see it here. The door of the ark stood open for 120 years. The sign out front said, all are welcome. Come inside and be saved. And no one came. Old Testament and New, the invitation goes out widely and generally, but most people find the door too narrow. Most people find the warnings too unlikely. And most people continue on about their business and they miss the opportunity to be saved. Jesus said that it would be this way at the end. He said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man, Matthew 24, 37 to 39. Verse 2 in Genesis 7 goes on to say this, Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heaven also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps in the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Now let's just pause here and notice that the Bible obviously intends us to read this as a historical account. Verse 11 provides a specific date for this event. It says that it happened in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month and on the 17th day of that month. Let's state the obvious. There is absolutely nothing of symbolic value in that number. If the Bible had said that this happened in the 666th year of Noah's life, in the sixth month, on the sixth day, at the sixth hour, then I would be tempted to think that this is a symbolic number. But this number means nothing other than that the Bible presents this as a historical account. It's a thing that happened, actually, on a specific day. A day of God's choosing. The heavens opened and the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And on that day, the world was forever changed. Sometimes you'll hear historians and philosophers speak about the broad, ugly ditch of history, meaning that it is just so hard to reach back across time in order to really know much of anything with certainty. Well, this flood then is the biggest, ugliest ditch of them all. This was the day the world changed, the shape of it changed. The nature of it changed, and it is simply unreasonable to think that we could dig holes in our backyards and learn anything about anything that happened before this day. This was the day that changed the world. Verse 12 goes on to say, And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, 
and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded them. And the Lord shut him in. I think those are the scariest words in all the Bible. The Lord shut him in. The patience of God had officially expired, and it will again. The Bible says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Second Peter 3, 9-10. Old Testament and New, God's patience is not forever. He waits a good and appropriate amount of time. He makes a broad and generous offer. He provides a way. He opens a door. He makes a call. He sends out preachers of righteousness to spread the news. He makes a spectacle. He suffers scoffing, and still he waits a little longer. But then at a time of his own choosing, he shuts the door. Now, this is not just an Old Testament thing, my friends. This is red letter. Jesus said in Luke 13, 24 to 28, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Well, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 13, 24 to 28. Old Testament and New Testament, there are people who wait too long. They see the door but they're busy doing life. They hear the preaching, but they never stop long enough to really listen. But then when the rains fall and the earth shakes and the clouds darken and the door shuts, all of a sudden, they're all ears, right? All of a sudden, they want in. But by that time, it's too late. Old Testament and New, they will knock on that door. They will claim some kind of loose association with the master, but they will be left outside in the cold. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Old Testament and new, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. Well, let's pause there if we can. Pastor Paul, those are beyond a doubt some of the most somber words in all of Scripture. Yeah, that's a quote from Hebrews 10, 30 to 31 in the New Testament, which says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Mm, but I'm not sure people do know that. I know I find those words a little jarring myself. Why is that? Well, I think, first of all, it's due to the fact that, by and large, we don't read our Bibles anymore. And if we do, we tend to adopt a sort of magic eight ball approach. We shake up the Bible and we pull out a verse and we hope it applies in some way to the challenges of the day. And if it doesn't, we just twist it until it does. But that's not a good way to read the Bible. The Bible is one story in 66 books. It has many authors and it has one author, the Holy Spirit. So it is important to read it that way. There is a big storyline to the Bible, and that storyline suggests that God is holy. He is our creator. We are subject to his word and authority, whether we know it or not, and whether we like it or not. This is his world, and therefore he makes the rules. That being said, because we are his special creatures made in his image and likeness, he gives us some rope and some opportunity. We each get a life of some indeterminate duration in which we will choose whether to bow gladly and humbly before his authority or to rebel and to make the same decision Adam and Eve made to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so as to decide right and wrong for ourselves without reference to the word of God. So we can be reconciled or we can be rebels. Those are the only options for human beings living on God's planet. And Old Testament and New, we are told that there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of the Lord. And as Jesus said, it generally comes like a thief in the night. You don't know when your life will end, and you will stand before God to give account. If you did know, you would prepare better, but you don't know. And so in a foolhardy attempt to maximize personal autonomy, many delay the day of decision, and they miss their opportunity to be saved. And that's exactly what is happening in the story. And Jesus said, it will be like that in the future in advance of the final judgment. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 37 to 39. And there's no second chances, right? Just like the people banging on the door in Noah's day as the rain began to fall, no one can change their mind and put trust in Jesus after they die or after they see Jesus coming on the clouds. That's right. And again, that's why Jesus was so often talking about hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are expressions of deep regret. Those are the sounds that people will make when they realize that they have missed their opportunity. Old Testament and New, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. Now, you said last week that in some way there's a comparison between the salvation that Noah and his family found in the ark and the salvation that we find in Christ. Well, actually, Peter said that, and I was just quoting him, in, in, okay. <laughs> which is always safe and is always wise. In 1 Peter 3, 21 to 22, he said, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So just like how when Noah's family went into the ark, that was received by God as an act of faith. So too, when we die to ourselves and hide ourselves in Christ, that likewise is received by God as faith. Thus, our baptism corresponds to the ark in Noah's flood. By hiding ourselves in Christ, we pass safely through judgment and death 
and emerge on the other side into new creation, life, and joy. Praise the Lord. Amen. I love how we are seeing the gospel anticipated and illustrated in advance in these Old Testament stories. Let's jump back into the text. Verse 17 goes on to say, The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm in the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The Jews teach that the flood served to scour the face of the earth in order to remove the taint and stain of human sin. There's a reminder in there that the sin in us doesn't stay in us. It oozes out and it changes the world. Now, my friends, this is one of the things you just have to understand if you want to understand the Christian faith. You see, in the secular materialistic worldview, people think that it's the environment that ruins us, right? The secular liberal elites think that human beings come out of the womb pristine, unspoiled, pure, and impressionable like little blank slates waiting for input and conditioning. Therefore, the secular elites are convinced that if we could just fix the environment, then we could solve the human dilemma if we could just put more money into education, and if the state just had a little more control over parenting, and if some of the contrary socializing institutions just had a little less voice and platform, then maybe we could produce and prepare a generation that was unstained by the world. By the way, how's that working out? Christianity, on the other hand, as well as biblical Judaism, teaches the exact opposite. The Bible says that everything wrong with the world comes from inside of us. Sin is born in the human soul, and it oozes out and ruins the environment. So if you're going to start over, you need to scrub the world clean from the infection and contamination of human sin. And that's what we see here. If humanity is going to start again then you need to save a select few and you need to sterilize the host environment. By, by the way, the New Testament says this too. 2 Peter 3, 5-7 says this, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, 2 Peter 3, 5-7. Do you hear that? Peter says, you know, all these folks who don't think this is going to ever happen, that there'll never be judgment, they forget that this has already happened. 
The first world was scrubbed and decontaminated by water, Peter says, at the commanding word of God. The next time, it will be by fire. Just like the last time, God will save a few in the ark that is Jesus Christ. He will lift them up and he will scour the earth with fire and then he will put them back in the new heavens and the new earth and they will start again. Only this time, it won't just be the earth that has been made new. Thanks be to God, next time, we will be made new as well. What a great day that will be. For now, we have learned this. God is holy. He hates sin. He provides a means of salvation. He is patient, but not forever. At a day of his choosing, a word will go forth, and the door will forever close, and the earth will be made new. Even still, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I was encouraged to hear you talk about how even in Peter's day, there were a lot of people who struggled to believe that a catastrophic judgment could happen in the future, despite that it happened in the past. Yeah, you're right. I mean, fundamentally, people don't change. And we want to believe that what we think about God is authoritative. We think that our thoughts on God actually make God who he is. I don't believe that God would judge the world. Therefore, he won't. But if the Bible is clear about anything, it is clear about this. We don't make God. God made us. So it doesn't matter what you think about God. What matters is what God says about himself. Now, if you think about that for two seconds, that ought to make perfect sense to you. Peter says that people don't think about that. They try really hard not to think about that. He says, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, 2 Peter 3, 5-7. So he was who he said he was in the Old Testament, and he is who he says he is now. And that's why the past is actually the best way to anticipate the future, because God has not changed, and he is still in charge. So if the Bible says that judgment is coming, then it is coming. And if the Bible says that God has provided a means of salvation, then you can trust that he has. The cross may not look necessary to you any more than the ark looked necessary to Noah's neighbors, but God says that it is, and therefore it is. And therefore the call of the gospel is to look upon Jesus Christ, to behold the Son of God upon the cross, and to be saved. That is where mercy is found. That is the ark. And today is the day of salvation. Oh, amen. And thank you for that. And thank you, listeners, for joining us again today. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. See you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.